0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com.
1: Good morning, family. I am so excited to be here. Come on. Bless the Lord. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. All right. Well, to, so I get to, its come down to this. <laughs> I get to teach with you guys today and preach on um, prayer, last installment of, but this is not our last time praying, right? Yeah, because this is a praying house. But how many of y'all excited about Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather coming back? Come on, let's give it up. Come on, stand to your feet. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the, for the apostle and the angel of this house. We blessed. Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather, in the name of Jesus, we bless the Shot family. We thank you for refreshing. We thank you for reinvigoration. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, a greater intimacy with you to equip us to do the works of ministry. Lord, we just bless them. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I can't wait to hear what the, what the Lord is going to release to them when they come back. Turn with me in your Bibles, to, or turn on your Bibles, right? So for, uh, man, oh, well over 20 years, I've been traveling with this thing here. How many of y'all ever heard the story of me sharing the story about the kettle? A few of you, a lot of you haven't. So I'm gonna share this, but in a totally, not totally, but a different way. I'm gonna hear on the scripture that uh, Pastor Matt was hitting on. Matter of fact, SLS uh, uh, meet and greet after this, don't forget, especially y'all who are hanging on the fence. <laughs> Or if you come in next semester, man, come out. I want to meet you. I want to talk and connect with you. It's going to be an amazing year in SLS, so y'all, y'all don't want to miss it. All right. I want to look at a couple of scriptures uh, first to, to get started. Turn to Genesis 29 34. This is all related to intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. So what does this story have to do with it? It says this, Genesis 29 34, and she, talking about Leah, conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name should be called Levi. Levi. What does that have to do with intercessory prayer? Honestly, everything. Now flip to another scripture. This will basically be the, the meat of our text today. is from Isaiah 53. We're going to see how This also shows up in the New Testament in a very peculiar place. Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened opened not his mouth. He was brought like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent or dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Then skip down to verse 12. It says this. Therefore, will I divide the portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he he was numbered amongst the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession. Made intercession for them. What does it mean to be an intercessor? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, a couple of more scriptures I want you to see. Revelation 5 and 8. We're familiar with that scripture because it talks about the prayer bowls in heaven, which are full of incense. And that incense is what? Incense is prayer, right? Look what happens in Revelation 8, 3 through 5. It says this, and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. What is incense? I know, that's the SLS teacher in me coming out. Prayer, right? that he should offer up the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense, which came up before the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God, out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it down to earth. And there followed voices and thunderings and lightning and an earthquake. Today, I'm going to preach about Jesus, our great intercessor. And how we'll be called right now to join with him in intercession for our family and for this nation. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Oh, great intercessor, thank you not just for praying for us, but thank you for being actively involved in our lives. Thank you for standing in the gap of all the sin and rebellion in our lives and taking it upon yourself to remit those sins so that we could become joined together with you in the household of faith. But now you're asking us to be joined together with you in this great work called intercessory prayer. Give us the grace to respond to your voice. And God, release Zechariah 12 and 10, the spirit of grace and supplication that we may weep over him who is pierced as our own firstborn son and as our only son. In other words, give us a love for you that is so profound that we will love what you love and hate what you hate. Would you join us together in prayer with you, God, so that generations even yet to be created could praise you. Would you, oh, Lamb of God, would you receive the reward of your suffering today? God, we pray for souls to be saved. We pray for lives to be changed. And release, Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation under me. And we bind the devil. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Can't forget slew for so I had to bind him, right? I spend more time talking to God than talking to him. But check this out. This is all about intercessory prayer. And uh, really, it's powerful when you overhear somebody praying for you, right? And so I will talk about that related to the eye of a Dream speech. But have you ever overheard anybody praying for you? Like overheard somebody interceding for you? I remember years ago, like 30 some odd years ago maybe, right? I was in my 20s. I was a student at Morehouse College at that time. And I, you know, that's in Atlanta, Georgia, but I live here in Fort Worth. and from Fort Worth. Shout out to everybody from O.D. White High School. All right. <laughs> but um, I come home for the summer and, uh, you know, at home, in, in, well, back in Atlanta, I used to party. I party pretty hard. Um, I was a nominal Christian. I was a backslid knucklehead Christian. Let's put it like that. I said all the right stuff, but I was a mess. <laughs> Knew all the right scriptures, but I wasn't living it right. So my friends came in from Atlanta, that I went to school with, went to college. With, and so we decided to go out and party one weekend in that, that summer break. And uh, you know, we went out, all the club scenes here in DFW area and uh, drinking and partying and whatever. And all of a sudden I realized I'm about to go, not back to my dorm room in Atlanta, a little drunk and a little tipsy. I'm about to go to my mama's house in Fort Worth, a little drunk and a little tipsy. I was like, that's the last thing I need to happen for her to see me like that, right? So it's like three in the morning, so my friends drop me off and I just kinda, you know, try to creep into the house. But who's up at three in the morning praying for me? my mama, and she is going to town. She's a little quiet lady most of the time, but I never heard her talk to anybody, let alone God like this. She was like, devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Jezebel, you better back up. Delilah, I see your hand. I plead the blood, the blood, the blood. I'm like, no wonder I couldn't get any phone numbers tonight. Mama's blocking everything. I'm pretty sure even one of those girls' name was Jezebel, but anyway. Mama's blocking everything, and she is going to town praying for me, man. You talking about a buzzkill? Yeah, that was a buzzkill. I heard one preacher say it like this. He said, the only difference between a praying mama and a pit bull is lipstick. Because a praying mama don't let go either. She just hangs on. (laughs) I stayed outside that door listening to my mother pray for me, interceding for me. Joining together with God to contend for my future, my destiny. About a year or two later, I like, for real, for real, gave my life to the Lord. I got saved, like, for real. I told my mother, I said, "Mommy, you didn't know it, but overheard you praying for me one night. And uh, outside that door, listened to you pray, I never heard you pray like that before. But it branded me it marked me. Thank, thank you for praying for me. So you didn't know I was outside that door, but thank you. She said, oh, I knew you were there. I knew you were there the whole time. I wanted you to know what God had placed in my heart concerning his plan, his purpose, his destiny for your life and how I was contending for it. Because he was an intercessor. So it's when you're praying, not just for yourself, but you're praying you contend it for somebody else in their breakthrough. Well, I have a dream speech is actually birthed out of intercession, did y'all know that? The I Have a Dream speech, We well actually it wasn't called the I Have a Dream speech. I think it was called something like uh, America's Broken Contract with Black America. But it became the I Have a Dream speech early on because Dr. King was in a prayer meeting with some young people at a church that had been burned down by the Ku Klux Klan. And a 22-year-old girl named Prathia Hall is praying. How would you like to have the name Prathia. Her daddy was a Baptist preacher, black Baptist preacher, named his daughter after prayer. So Prathia is praying, and while she's praying, in the middle of this, the ashes, that hatred that created, she's praying, and she says, I have a dream. And she starts naming off her own list of things. So Dr. King, when they were taking him to the airport, Dr. King said, young lady, that little phrase you used was powerful. You mind if I borrow that? She said, yes, sir, by all means. So Dr. King incorporated the phrase, I have a dream, into his prayer life for over a year. He, that was his prayer. So, because he, he's interceding, what, for the next generation. Because he's heard the cry of the next generation right even before him. But so he becomes an intercessor for the next generation. And so he would use that. And his friend, Mahalia Jackson, she heard him use that phrase. But his speech writers, they're like, you know, doctor, I have a dream stuff is too cliche. When you do your speech in Washington, why don't you leave that out? Can you imagine that not being part of the speech? And so reluctantly, he agreed But if you get the right version of the I have a dream speech, you'll hear Dr. King and he's reading the speech verbatim. But when he gets to the end, you can hear somebody say, Martin, tell him about the dream. That was Mahalia Jackson. Then he kicks in the I have a dream. And the rest is history. All because he overheard somebody else in a prayer meeting. Question, what kind of impact is your prayer life having on the people around you? And I, I'm not saying you need to be praying with one eye open to see who's in the room. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it needs to be something on us that's interceding for somebody else's purpose, their plan, their destiny. And that's what Dr. King did. He became an intercessor. That movement, that's the right movement? Well, it was a movement of prayer and worship. A lot different from the movements going on right now. It was based on prayer. So he becomes this intercessor that takes Prathia's prayer and casts it as a vision for us all. God's looking for the hearts of the fathers to be turned to the children and the children to the fathers. It's such a powerful way. It's going to break curses off a generation. And so, and he wants us to be joined together with him in the place of prayer in this regard. So, that being said, what does it mean to be an intercessor? Well, first, let's talk about who are the people that will call to the place of prayer as priests before God to represent the, the you know, the, they represent the people before God and the God before the people. Intercessors represent two, 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 two different things in the place of prayer. One, they're offering up thanksgiving. They're offering up the, you know, prayers of petition, prayers of thanksgiving. But then and at some point they come and they start representing the will of God and start releasing his kingdom and his dominion in the earth. All right. You see it in the Lord's prayer. Lord, I didn't mean to go. I didn't expect to go this direction, but y'all are so hungry. Y'all pulling stuff out of me. <laughs> in the Lord's prayer, when he starts praying, he says, pray in this manner. And then he says, uh, with that part where he says, uh, uh, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. That's all from a kingly perspective down. But then when he's offering up prayers, and, uh, forgive us our trespasses and uh, lead us not into temptation. That's. It's us representing the needs of the people up to the Lord. But then we get to another place where it comes down. It's like, come thy kingdom, be done thy will. That's literally what it says in the Greek. It's, it's, a, it's a word which means to, uh, uh, it's an imperative. In other words, it's not like, oh God, please let your kingdom come. No, it's like, come thy kingdom, be done thy will. And the word be done means genoma. It means be created. So whatever it needs to be, be in the name of Jesus. So we represent his will on earth we release his kingdom, his influence in the place of prayer when we're joined together with him. And who would join together with him in this regard? The Levites. So the first time we see the word Levi in scripture is with this story of a broken, busted up marriage and relationship. What a mess. You know, Jacob was promised that he was going to marry Rachel, but then Laban tricks him into marrying Leah first, you can go back and read that story. And so he has to contend another seven years for this Rachel that he loves so much, but he's already married to Leah. And Rachel's womb was shut up, but Leah has six sons first because God saw the longing that was on Leah. And so you see it there in Genesis 29, 34, it says that she, uh, she says to the Lord here in Genesis 29, 34, Now this time my husband will be joined to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name should be called Levi. Levi means joined together with. So she longed to be joined together with her husband in covenant relationship. But his heart was for somebody else. And here's the deal. What happens is God says, you know what, Leah? I understand that longing. I long to be joined together with the people who I'm in covenant with. I long for that kind of a connection. And you're not gonna meet any man on earth that can answer that long in the way I can. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take your son Levi, his name he's joined together with, and I'm gonna create a tribe of people who will be preaching to me from him called the Levites. And through the Levites, I'm going to answer your longing and I'm going to answer mine. To be joined together with me in intimacy and also to be joined together to release my influence and my covenant upon my covenant people. That's what God wants to do with you right now. He wants to be joined together with you in covenant love and devotion to see you go to a whole new place of intimacy and fellowship with him where you love what he loves, you hate what he hates, and then also he releases you and influence through you to release his will and influence in intercessory prayer to affect those around and to bring them also into the covenant because he wants us to be joined together with him and he wants us also to be joined together with each other. This making sense here, y'all. That's what the Levites' job was. So these Levites offered up sacrifices before the Lord in the place of, of their priestly function And this was their sole duty. Joshua 13, 14 says, But to the tribe of Levi, they weren't given an inheritance. The sacrifices of fire to the Lord is their inheritance. In other words, their inheritance was a fiery, affectionate heart for the living God. That was their inheritance. But also, practically, that sacrifice of fire was to offer up sheep, offer up lambs, a spotless lamb, spotless sheep before the Lord as a burnt offering for the sins of the people. That was their job, that was their portion. And in Joshua 13, 33, it says, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had not given them an inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel is their inheritance. In other words, God is their portion. They can't be bought or sold. To a people who can't be bought or sold, who carry his fiery affection at heart, he uses them to be joined together with him to release his influence on the earth, to join other people in covenant relation with him because they're intercessors and they pray. See, one, this one thing to be a prayer warrior. It's another thing to be an intercessor. Thank God for prayer warriors. We need more prayer warriors. But an intercessor is that person that says, listen, over my dead body, this thing is going to turn. And they own it. They take responsibility for seeing something change in their family, for seeing something change in the community. They see something shift in their nation. And they pray until. And they contend. So what does this look like? Isaiah 59 and 15 and 16. Powerful verse says this. Yes, truth faileth. Pastor Matt mentioned this. Scripture earlier when he was talking about SLS says this. Your truth faileth, and he that departed from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it and was displeased that there was no justice or judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and he was astonished that there is no intercessor. Now the next phrase says, and he brought salvation by his own right arm. He did that on the cross. But he's looking for somebody right now to be joined together with him to be an intercessor. When he sees So it says, when he sees an injustice in the earth, it displeases him. Listen, that word displeased is the word ra'ah in Hebrew. It means to be broken or shattered to pieces. So when God sees an injustice in the earth, his heart is shattered to pieces. It then goes on to say that he looks for an intercessor, but when he can't find anybody to stand in the gap in prayer and get actively involved, it says that he, he, gets, he begins to wonder or he gets astonished. Listen, that word for wonder or astonished there in the Hebrew is the word shamim. It means to sit and to stare, to grow numb, to be devastated. So when God sees an injustice in the earth, his heart is shattered to pieces. He then looks for an intercessor who'll represent him on earth, but when he can't find that person, he sits and he stares and he grows numb. He says, I can't believe nobody cares about what's happening with, with slavery. I can't believe nobody cares about what's happening with human trafficking. I can't believe nobody cares about what's happening with abortion. I can't no- believe nobody cares about our schools becoming a pipeline to prison. I can't believe nobody cares about how the enemy is trying to give puberty bockers to the next generation and pervert their identity sexually and everything. Else. I can't believe nobody cares about what's happening with abortion. In other words, it's hard to shout at to pieces. And he's looking for somebody to represent him on earth, to be joined together with him, to become problem solvers to society. That's what an intercessor is. I believe they're intercessory businesses. I believe God is raising up even solutionaries out of this house to become problem solvers to society through your prayer, through your active involvement. So this is what it looks like. So God is asking, does anyone love what I love and hate what I hate? Who would join together with me and partner with me in intercession to represent my heart or represent my heart in this matter? So he raises up these Levites in order to do this. Now, it's interesting. Part of Levi's job was to be intercessors on behalf of the nation. They offer up sheep and sacrifices for sins of the people. So an inter- intercessor is a person who stands in the gap on behalf of someone else and represents them in the place of prayer in an effort to join them together with God. That can happen for people, that can happen for people groups, that can happen for whole nations. And one of the best understandings of the, Jesus, the intercessor, our great high priest that we've been singing about all morning, Isaiah 53 verses 6 and 7 says this, All we like sheep have gone, what? Astray. We have turned aside to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him, who's the hymn? Jesus laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and He opened not his mouth. He was brought like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Then verse 12 says this, "Therefore I will divide him with the, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong." Because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered amongst the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that powerful? So, 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene, Isaiah is prophesying that this is what Jesus is gonna do, what he's already done. He's a Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes, we are what? Well, yeah, we're healed, and he heals history. This verse actually shows up in a very peculiar place. It shows up in the book of Acts. shows up in the book of Acts, Acts 27 through 40, is the story of an Ethiopian eunuch who is a treasurer. It says for Ethiopia, for, the, for a queen, it says for Queen Candace. A couple of things you need to know about this verse. Ethiopia is not a nation at this time. It's still this area that was part of the Cushites, part of the land of Cush, and and Ethiopia at that time is Aksum. It's not the nation Ethiopia. The word Ethiopia in the Greek is actually a Greek word which means burnt face. Someone with dark skin. So he's describing someone with dark skin. He says uh, that he's a treasurer for Queen Candace, Candace is not her name. Candace is the title for what type of queen that this lady is. It's the Latin translation of the word kandake or kandake. If you saw the the, the movie Woman King, she was a kandake. In other words, these were women in Africa who had king-like authority? There were mothers over their land. They declared war. They actually went out into war. They conquered kingdoms. They had their own court. They operated almost like a king, co-regent with their brothers who were kings as well. That's who he worked for. So more than likely, this is from the land of Nubia because they had at least six or seven Kandaki queens at that time. And so he's reading Isaiah 53. He's reading Isaiah 53 in the verse, and then Philip hears him reading it in his chariot, and he said, hey, do you know what you're reading? He said, how how can I know unless somebody tells me? Who, Who is Isaiah talking about, he says. Is Isaiah talking about himself, or he's talking about somebody else? And Philip says, bruh, check this out, he's talking about Jesus. And he explains Jesus to him, and he says, hey, there's water over there, he gets baptized. Listen, that Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, and eventually, According to the best scholarship on this, the land of Cush, what Nubia is, it becomes a Christian nation for about a thousand years eventually. Isn't that powerful? And then it began to spread. And then Mark goes to Egypt and he preaches the gospel there. And then the the church gets planted in Egypt. And then then you have others that get raised up in Carthage and Tunisia and Cyrene and North Africa becomes ablaze with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, from the upper room, you had Egypt represented, Libya represented. You also had Cyrene represented. So Africa is in the upper room in Acts 2.10. In other words, Africa gets turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ and spreads powerfully. And then we, we were finding now also there was actually Christianity along uh, the translated slave trade on the west coast of uh, the western side of Africa, in, in Congo, in, in, in Angola, even in Ghana. Christianity was there before there were any foreign missionaries. It was spreading. I say all that to say this. Or there's some people who say, I'm gonna say, I'm mentioning this because this Kettle Pop, I'm gonna share the story how it came from the slaves in my family who were Christians in my family. And there are people today, I'm sad to say, and my heart breaks over this, y'all. We're losing people. There's so much, so much of a thing going on with identity—not just identity politics, but people struggling with their own identity, especially even in my community, African American community, who are so frustrated with things that are around them, and the enemy is playing so many games, so many tricks. And we have people leaving the faith, and falling into things like the Nation of Islam, falling into things like the Hebrew Israelites, falling into things like the Five Percent Nations of Gods on Earth, falling into chauvinism and other things, and moving from Christ centrism to Afro centrism and it breaks my heart and they're saying, well, you know, Christianity is the white man's religion and we didn't know about Christianity until, until, until slavery. And, and I'm here to say, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Christianity was already in Africa and was way before there were foreign missionaries. I had time to preach into it, but I just want to tell you, listen, Christianity ain't the white man's religion, ain't the black man's religion. It's his religion. <laughs> It's not about black power, it's not about white power, it's about His power. Oh, so all that to say, Jesus became our intercessor, and He took our punishment for sin as a sheep like a sheep that's gone astray and became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And through Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection life, we are reconciled and joined to God and joined to each other. So that being said, there were people who got on the boat during the times of slavery. Some of them who got on that boat were actually Christians when they got on the boat and they were Christians when they got off the boat here. But it wasn't popular for Christianity to even be taught for the first hundred years to anybody who was enslaved. For the first hundred years. And anybody who preached the gospel to them were persecuted and sometimes killed. Talking about those white missionaries. And yet there was a slave Bible where they took out the book of Exodus and they took out the book of Esther. Because they didn't want anybody to teach them about the God of Israel. Who set his people free from Pharaoh. Pharaoh. So the beautiful thing is this, there were another group of people who used a different Bible, the one that had everything in it. And God used them, those white missionaries and those white revivalists and those African-American revivalists and and abolitionists, God used them to preach the gospel so powerfully. It set a whole nation free. And they were intercessors. I want to talk a little bit about those intercessors for a moment. Can I do that? And then first foremost in my family, so, like I said, this kettle pot comes from the slaves in my family. They used it for cooking. They used it for washing clothes, but secretly they used it for prayer. They were owned by a slave master there in Lake Providence, Louisiana, who would beat it for any reason. Praying was one of them. This slave master didn't want them to get any kind of hope for freedom, so he literally beat them if he called them praying. Uh, it was so uh, horrible how they were treated. We had a story passed down in our family about a about somebody who was beat to death for going fishing without asking on that plantation. And he was strapped to a tree, both arms and legs were put on the other side of that tree. And they took a leather strap, which was shredded, which had rocks and nails and glass attached to it, something like the cat and nine tails. And they beat this slave for a father of ours until all the flesh was pulled out of his back. The family, in an effort to save his life, took a huge sheet and put grease on the sheet and wrapped it around his body to be like one big bandage. They put grease on the sheet so that the cotton from the sheet wouldn't stick to the exposed skin on his back. But in spite of their efforts and because of the cruelty, he bled to death and died. So that's how cruel slavery was on that plantation there in Lake Providence, Louisiana, where this kettle pot came from. But listen, but in spite of the danger and because of their love for Jesus, these folks will go out and pray anyway. And the irony is that they wanted them to be Christian, but they didn't want them to pray because they, they felt like prayer would foster hope. And if they got hope, they felt like they would try to run away. And it was against the law for people, to, for people to teach slaves how to read and write. It was also against the law for anybody to teach them how to read and write. But in spite of all of that, there was a secret prayer movement that was going on in our nation of black enslaved Christians and abolitionists and revivalists. They were the true church in this nation that turned this whole nation upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how they used to do their secret prayer meeting in my family. So what they would do is they'd go into a barn late at night to make sure their prayer meeting wasn't seen, but to make sure it wasn't heard, they used this cast iron pot. I just had it appraised a couple of weeks ago, and they said it's appraised now at being as old as 1775. So about 247 years old, maybe. They were going to a barn late at night to make sure their prayer meeting wasn't seen, but to make sure it wasn't heard, they used this pot. So they'd take the pot and turn it upside down on the cabin floor, then prop it up with rocks so would be suspended off the ground about an inch or two. They would then lay flat on the ground or prostrate themselves on the ground and put their lips in between the opening, between the ground and the kettle, so that this kettle pot muffled their voices as they prayed through the night. And the story they passed down with this pot is this, is that they didn't think they would see freedom in their time. So they prayed for the freedom of their children and the next generation. One day, freedom comes as this young teenage girl, she decides to keep this pot and that story in our family. And why would she do that? Because she overheard somebody else interceding for her. And she knew she wasn't the only recipient of their sacrifice. So she keeps this pot and this story in our family, and she passed the pot and the story down to Harriet Lockett. Harriet Lockett passed it on to Noah Lockett. Noah Lockett passed it on to William Ford Senior, who passed it on to William Ford Jr., who then gave it to me, William Ford III. I just happened to be at a conference where somebody was talking about unfinished business in the place of prayer, and now we had to take up the mantle from the previous generation in prayer. And all of a sudden, I thought, "Oh my God! To whom much is given?" Yeah, much is required. And I remember this cut apart in my family. I thought, my God, the commitment of our forefathers has now become the calling of our time. God has raised us up right now to contend for the freedom of the next generation spiritually in this nation. And we won't see what they saw unless we do what they did. It wasn't just them praying, there were also these white abolitionists and revivalists they were praying too. They saw two powerful awakenings hit this nation. We feast and play, they fasted and prayed. something's gotta change. I'm not trying to guilt you into the prayer room. I'm just saying God wants to be joined together with you. There's something bigger than what's going on in your life. Interceding for our nation. But then beyond the obligation, I thought about the privilege. I thought, oh my God, I get to agree with the prayers of my forefathers for the freedom of this next generation. And I thought about the exponential results that could be released and created from that. And I realized, This represents a prayer bowl. They just use it as an acoustic means to keep their prayers from being heard. But listen, literally, according to Revelation 5 and 8, there's a prayer bowl. I believe there's a prayer bowl over your family. There's a prayer bowl over you. There's a prayer bowl over Fort Worth. There's a prayer bowl over this. God's looking for a new generation to resource the prayer bowls. Your incense, that's your prayer life. Then Revelation 8, 3-5, what happens? This angel is standing at attention there, waiting for your prayers to come. God is just waiting for you to pray. Angels are bored sometimes, just sitting around going, well, I'm just waiting for him to get to the prayer room. Not get to the church house, but get to the prayer room. Just start praying. Your car makes a really good prayer room, makes a really good sanctuary. There or other places, come on just waiting for you to pray, and the incense is filling up bowls in heaven. Then it says, at some point, God adds much incense to your incense. What is incense? He adds more prayer to your prayer. God, in other words, perfect your praise. In other words, there's that scripture that says, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings comes perfected praise. I heard... One one preacher said it could be translated like this. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings comes perfected prayer. What does that look like? Because sometimes you get in prayer. You can't say it right, but you need God to help you out. he's He's a lip reader. He's not a lip reader. God's a heart reader. People think he's a lip reader. It's not about long prayers. It's about God reads your heart. It'd be like if my little boy, if he was two, three years old, to walk, if he were to walk up to you and ask for some wah you might not understand what he's talking about. But because I'm his daddy, I do what? I perfect his request. I said, no, I know what he wants. Give him some water. Father God is the same way. Listen, sometimes you get in prayer, all you can do is just get a tear coming down your face. Sometimes you get in prayer, all you can do is just get a moan or a groan out. Remember back in the day, the old folks would be at the moanist bench and all the young folks thought they were crazy. Like, what's all that moaning, all that groaning about? Sometimes people are down there in prayer and just mumbling and bumbling around and sometimes speaking in another language, sometimes just silent and stammering like Hannah. And then people are like, what are they doing? God says, I know exactly what they want. I know exactly what they need. I'll take that. Add this to that. And he perfects our requests. And you know what makes incense smell a whole lot better when it's on fire. So God takes a hot coal from the altar and puts it in the midst of your prayer, and all of a sudden, all of heaven becomes fragrant with your prayer life. And God comes under the influence of it. So powerfully, he picks the right time. He says, "Now is the right time. Now. Fling that whole mixture down to earth and it releases answers to your prayer in the form of thunder and fire and lightning and earthquakes and voices. There's not one wasted prayer. So God raises up, in other words, voices for the voices. Here at Israel, when they're in bondage in Egypt, and then he heard the groaning of the prisoner for 430 years, and God raises up a voice called Moses and Aaron. And then he heard the groaning of the prisoner, even in our nation, in the place of prayer. And then he raised up a John Wesley. He raised up a Harriet Tubman. He raised up a Harriet Beecher Stowe. He raised up a Charles Finney. He raised up a Martin Luther King. He raised up a William Seymour. He raises up voices for the voiceless because somebody prayed. Who's going to be the voice in this day? Who's going to come to God in the place of intercession that God wants to join together with you in this hour? to love what you love, hate what you hate, and see your will being released in the earth. And that's what happened in our nation. There was a Supreme Court law back then called Dred Scott, which said that slaves had no rights in the courtroom. And everybody thought that law sealed the fate of slavery in our nation. But God sent a revival because of praying people that were so powerful, folks started fighting for other folks that didn't even look like them. That's why I'm daring to believe, listen, the same God who broke the power of Dred Scott, he just broke the power of Roe v. Wade and he's putting an end to systemic poverty. He's gonna stop our schools from being a pipeline to prison. He's gonna shut down He's going to shut down crack houses in the inner city. He's going to put an end to the opiate crisis in the suburbs. He's going to shut down people trying to give puberty blockers to the next generation. He's going to heal identity issues. He's going to heal marriages. He's just looking for a generation of people who will drop their agendas and come together and believe and join together with him and partner with each other to be intercessors in this hour, to tip the bows. Tip the bowls over a footwork. Come on, let's pray. Tip the bowls over this city, God. Tip the bowls over the school district. Tip the bowls, Lord. Release thunder, fire, lightning, and earthquakes. Shake everything that can be shaken, God. Something's got to change. So... So the Lord t- spoke to me through this whole thing. Said, "Well, if you want to be a part of this, you got to deal with your own baggage. So he gave me a dream about the dream of Martin Luther King. In the dream, I'm on my way to Dr. King's old church in Montgomery, Alabama. But I couldn't get there without first picking up Dr. King. So it's a dream. So Dr. King is alive in the dream. And me and my friend in the dream, Lou Engle, we we'll go by this house to pick up Dr. King and Dr. King comes out of this house and he has this humongous white duffel bag with black handles on it. And in the dream, he starts emptying all this dark garbage out of that duffel bag, then throws the bag down violently and he comes again to get into this vehicle with us. And in the dream, I thought to myself, man, that bag will make a nice souvenir. Which shows you how petty I am, right? Like even in my dreams, I'm thinking, I went to Morehouse, he went to Morehouse, the bag would make a nice souvenir. <laughs> So I go to try to pick up the baggage, but before I could touch it, Dr. King grabs me by my shoulder, and he said, no, do not go back and pick that up. And he starts telling me what I need to do to heal the racial divide in our nation. I wake up from the dream in tears. I shared the dream with my friend Lou Engle. He begins to weep. We start interceding. God, what does this dream mean? God, remind me, what did Dr. King say to me? And the Lord said to me, William, the white bag with the black handles, that would be the interpretation for your dream. Then I realized the black handles represented my ethnicity as an African-American man. The white baggage represented my unforgiveness issues that I've been carrying around. The Lord was saying to me, William, get rid of your white baggage. You've been carrying it for way too long. I knew what God was talking about because I know what it's like at 13 years old to be coming out of a convenience store with three or four of my friends all the same age. Carload full of white guys pulled up to us, started calling us the N-word, said they're going to shoot and kill us. They probably were just joyriding, riding but we didn't know them. Listen, they chased us for almost two hours. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like in my 30s to get my first nice house in the suburbs. I have the same police officer every week for the first three months pull me over just for driving while black. I know what that feels like. But you know what I've done? For every police officer and every white person in that community, I put, I put those stories on everybody before I had one conversation with people. I prejudged everybody. I saw everybody through the veil of those experiences. Isn't that exactly what the devil wants us to do? It's Revelation 12 where it says the devil is what the accuser of the brethren. That word accuser comes from this Greek word kategoros, so where we get the word category. In other words, the diabolical plot of the enemy is just to categorize or stereotype each other. So before we have one conversation with each other, we put some bad narrative, we put some bad storyline in each other. God was saying to me, William, get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of your unforgiveness. Get rid of your resentment. Get rid of your white baggage. So you can get into a new vehicle that can bring revival and justice for everybody. And that's the question God has for all of us right now is this, what color is your baggage? Is it red, yellow, black, white, or brown? Or is it a donkey or an elephant? (laughs) Listen, with all the stuff we saw with the extreme left and 410 cities being set on fire, and all the stuff we saw with the extreme right on January 6th, listen y'all, left wing, right wing, the whole bird is sick. Our answer is not in politics. We need the dove back in America. It's important who you vote for. Stand for biblical marriages. Stand for life. All those things. But more importantly, it's how we represent the one we live for. Amen. Because it's going to take a united church to heal a divided nation. It's not about the donkey or the elephant, it's about the lamb. So, my friend Lou Engel says, hey, Share this story at the Lincoln Memorial, NMLK Celebration Day. But little did I know God was gonna connect me to some unanswered prayers of my family and call me into being an intercession for this nation in a greater way than I ever know. It was January 17, 2005, it's MLK Celebration Day. And so I bring the kettle to share the story. If y'all have that first slide where these folks are outside are praying, If it looks like it's cold, it's because it's a really cold day, It's like zero degrees. We prayed out there for eight hours that day. But I'm not the person who took this picture. The person who took this picture was a guy named Matt. He was led to this gathering because he had a dream. He had a dream, he was praying for revival in the ending of abortion with a man named Lou Engle. And at the time he had no thought or concern about prayer or the life issue. So he he thought, who and what is a Lou Engle? So he goes to this newly invented thing called Google in 2003, 2000, 2005. Types in the name Lou Engle and up pops the face of the man that he saw in his dream. And he's praying for a revival and a cultural life in our nation, so he freaks out because he'd never had a dream like this. He wasn't part of anything we were doing, any movement or anything, he had never met us before. So he decides to come to this gathering because of that dream, and he, he takes this picture. And I speak that night And I started talking about this kettle pot, and I started talking about how it came from the slaves of my family and came from the Lockett side of my family. As I'm going through the family history, I look out, and I see this white guy with his hands buried in his beard. He's shaking and crying. It's this guy, Matt. He comes up. He said, hey, you just said this came from the Lockett side of your family. He said, that's my last name. My name is Matt Lockett. I said, really? I'm thinking, I never met a Lockett before. How do y'all spell Lockett? With two T's or one at the end? He said, we spell it with two at the end. That's all. We spell it with one. So where are you Lockett's from? He said, Kentucky, so, oh, mine are down in Louisiana. So we thought it was this cool coincidence, but it was enough to connect us as intercessors. We started praying even in that moment, we prayed together, prayed for the nation, prayed for healing of the racial divide, prayed for the release of a cultural life, all these things. We've been friends for 18 years now and then my friend Matt Lockett actually did what he saw in his dream. He took over Lou Engels prayer ministry in Washington DC and he's, he's been one of those guys 18 years praying in front of the Supreme Court with the red duct tape over his mouth, with life written on it, praying for revival, praying for the ending of abortion, praying for the healing of the racial divide. He did that for 18 years. He's still there right now. One of the most faithful intercessors that I know. Well, he and my friend Lou Engle decided to do a prayer gathering at the place where the South surrendered to the North in the Civil War. And as they're coming out of that place of prayer, they're walking to this visitor center where it has books, they grab the first book off the shelf, and it falls open to this page in the book which says, The Last Shot, The Battle of Lockett's Farm. You go to the next slide, you see it there. That's it. That's the, that's the page in the book. And so it turns out that the last battle of the Civil War was fought at a farmhouse called Lockett's Farmhouse. So there with two T's, just like Matt's name. So he thought, man, what a cool coincidence. But then he heard from his brother. His brother said, hey, I just got the documentation on that. That's our family. In other words, my friend Matt Lockett found out that the Civil War ended in his family's front yard. So he thought, man, what a, I, gotta, I gotta see this place. So if you go to the next slide, he goes to that place and the house is still there. It's been preserved from the day of history. It has the memorial stone in the front that says, here Lee fought his last battle, April 6, 1865. And if you go to the next slide, you see Matt and his family, they're there. If you go to the next slide, the man brings him into the house, he says, what do you know about your family tree and history? He said, let me pull out my brother's research. This gentleman pulled out, Matt's, you know, pull out the family research that he had. It fit like a hand in a glove. It's Matt's family. He said, what else do you know? He said, not much. He said, well, some of y'all left from here and went to Kentucky. He said, but some of y'all left from here and went to Louisiana. And y'all had lots of slaves. And then he said this before he could ask him. And yeah, and sometimes there were clerical errors in how they spelled your name locket, and sometimes they would only put one T on the end instead of two. When Matt heard that, he remembered the first conversation he and I had. He flies from D.C. to Dallas. So he flies to Dallas, and I pull out my family research, and if you go to the next slide, you'll see. This is from my own genealogical research and my family history. We were all lockets at first, before we were Fords. And so the oldest known Lockett in, in East Cara Parish, which is Lake Providence, Louisiana, was this man here, Isaac Lockett. In this census in 1870, he's 90 years old. So, if, you know, five or six years after the end of slavery, this is probably the place where he stayed a slave. But in this document, he said he was originally from Virginia. You know our slaves were, sometimes, you know, passed along through wheels to other family members <clears throat> and travel with other people. Uh, that were were wheeled off or whatever. And the only Locketts that were there that owned slaves in Virginia at that time was Matt's family. So this led to another year and a half of research. And what we learned from empirical evidence is this. It was my friend Matt Lockett's family who owned our family where this kettle pot came from. So think about it. Here's my family praying for the ending of slavery. And then all the way up at the farmhouse of the people who originally owned them, slavery comes to their end in their front yard. But then because he's the God of the past and the future, and he loves to heal history, God joins us together with him and then joins us together so we can be intercessors for today to heal division today and break the power of the cultural life of this generation and release awakening and revival because that's the kind of God we serve. He loves to heal history. He's looking for an intercessor to join with him. So, the story is, is, is so crazy. If you go to the, to, to the next slide, let will show you this, this, this one thing. Um, this is the land where Isaac lived. So imagine, some 200 years ago, there used to be a prayer meeting on that plotting around. Where some people used to sneak in with this kettle pot to pray for my freedom and for yours too. Go to the next slide and... That's us sharing our story together for the first time. You go to the next slide. The, the town of Lake Providence actually gave us keys to the city. Listen, God is releasing providential keys to open doors no man can close, and closed doors no man can open to heal all of our divisions in the nation. So here's the other thing that's so powerful. We're gonna skip ahead uh, for the sake of time. So, Matt also had somebody in his family that took a strong stand against slavery. He was a revivalist and an abolitionist named Daniel Lockett. He's right there in his family line. He was a a traveling uh, evangelist with uh, one of the circuit riders. He was on the circuit riders with Francis Asbury. Why is that important? Everywhere the circuit riders went, they preached against slavery and they called slave owners to set their slaves free once they got saved. And so they would carry manumission forms with them. So when they preached, they would say, listen, it was for freedom that Christ set us all free. Go ahead and sign these manumission forms and set your slaves free too. We know that's what happened because everywhere the circuit riders went, the free slave population grew exponentially. So yeah, yeah, slave owners in his family, he also had revivalists and abolitionists in the same family. And that's like all of our families. We have these things called generational blessings and generational curses that represent these dominating themes of storylines. And what God is shouting to America right now is this, What storyline do you want to be a part of? The healing or the hurt? The blessing or the curse? What storyline do we want to be a part of? Because those abolitionists, those revivalists, they knew that the Christian slave was their brother. They helped me understand something. See, if my ancestors, y'all, had been Muslims or Buddhists, I had no connection to this part of his history. But because they were Christians, listen, Not not only is this part of my spiritual heritage, it's part of your spiritual heritage too. No matter what race you are. Why? Because we're one because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm just as much a spiritual son of Matthew, Martin, Luke, and John, and John Wesley, and Harriet Beecher Stowe, as you are a model of the King, and Harriet Tubman, and C.H. Mason, and William Seymour. When we come together in that kind of unity, that kind of agreement, something powerful happens. Oil starts flowing. Anointings start mingling. People join together. Things get broken up. show you this last story. Remember it was against the law for slaves to read and write? Well, even during the reconstruction period, it's still frowned upon because the best way to keep somebody a slave forever is to keep them uneducated. That's another sermon for another day. (laughs) So this mother's trying to teach her five-year-old boy how to read and write, working as sharecroppers on the Lockett Plantation. And in walks Lucy Lockett, Matt's ancestor. And they thought, man, there's going to be some bad consequences for this. But Lucy Lockett said, you know what? No, what you're doing is good and right. Matter of fact, I'm taking over your tutoring. So Lucy Lockett teaches both of them how to read and write. How is a tutor to do that? We know that story because that five-year-old boy grew up to be Robert Russell Moton. Who is he? Robert Russell Moton became the second president of Tuskegee University. He became an educational advisor to four presidents. And he's the man that did the dedication speech at the Lincoln Memorial. You put that slide up with this man, they're saying right there, at the Lincoln Memorial, May 1922, giving the dedication speech of the Lincoln Memorial. And then 41 years later, Dr. King would come to those same steps and say, I have a dream. And then 41 years later, Matt and Locke and I will come to those same steps to meet each other on MLK Celebration Day at the same spot where Dr. King said, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood because somebody tipped the bowls. Somebody joined together with God in intercession. God remembered the prayers of a Prathia Hall. He remembered the prayers of a John Wesley. He remembered the prayers of a Frederick Douglass. He remembered the prayers of a Harriet Beecher Stowe. He remembered the prayers of a Harriet Tubman and the bones get tipped over a generation, and wrong things get made right. Maybe the dream speech wasn't poetry. Maybe it was prophecy. Maybe there's was a dream king called the king of kings, and his father still don't answer his prayer, which says, Father, I pray that they be one so that your glory could come, so that the world would believe. Maybe God forgot about the prayers of your mama and your papa now. Jesus, the great intercessor. The revelation of that for the Ethiopian eunuch turned his life upside down. And the eunuch who's supposed to be fatherless becomes a spiritual father to the nations of the earth. It means a lot to me because that's what happened in my family. The revelation of Isaiah 53 is how my daddy got saved. My father before... He got saved in the 50s, and the 60s, before he was ever SBA small business in the year. They had 10 businesses and did the things that he did here in Fort Worth. He was an amazing businessman. Had his ups and downs in faith, but he finished strong. I can tell you that. He loved the Lord. But early on, he just come out of, uh, you know, signed up for the Korean War and, and uh, enlisted and became a pretty good boxer. And he loved the box. That's way he took out of his anger most of the time was about boxing. And uh, you put up a picture of him. This is my dad here. Um, here's a picture of my pa. <laughs> that's my brother Gregory there. and That's my dad inside. He see that cowboy hat? He loved cowboy hats. <laughs> loved to have him a silver belly. 20X beaver, resist all, wearing man. He loved the whole thing with cow. You know why? And he connected, he collected like uh, Buffalo Soldier memor- memorabilia and things like that. He loved... Being a cowboy, black cowboy, he wore, he wore suits, but he loved to wear his hats. The reason why is because my daddy worked as a cowboy at uh, Swift Packing House. How many of y'all familiar with Swift Packing House? That was the, that's the slaughterhouse that's here in Fort Worth. Shut down years ago in the '70s, but my dad worked there in the '50s and the '60s. And he used to slaughter. He used to sla- slaughter goats. He slaughtered lambs and he slaughtered sheep. And some days he'd go to work and he'd be angry and he'd take his anger out on the animals. Yeah, he, one day he, he hit one of the sheep, he broke his ribs, and it didn't say a word. He wasn't used to that. He hit a cow, he hit a, he hit a goat, because, you know, because he's used to boxing, right? He's like, these things can take a punch, but this thing didn't say a word. Then he had a lamb in front of him and he broke the leg of the lamb and it didn't say a word. He said something to his coworker about it. his coworker said really so his coworker hit a sheep in the ribs, broke his ribs, didn't say a word. And he realized that all the other animals were going off to slaughter, the cows and the goats, they'd always be wrestling and that they feel like something's going on, they'd be trying to get out of the chute and everything. But the sheep and the lambs when they went off to slaughter, they didn't say a word. They were totally silent on the way to slaughter. Well, a week after that, my dad just happened to go to Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Fort Worth. And the preacher that day just happened to be preaching on Isaiah 53. And he preached about how Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world and was led like a lamb to the slaughter and didn't say a word. You go look it up. Sheep and lambs, they don't say a word when they go off to be slaughtered. Jesus didn't either. You know why he took every single punch you could give him every single sin You ever tried to lay upon him every single thing that you tried when you hate God or whatever your sin your iniquity He took it all upon himself And didn't say a word as an intercessor he did it on your behalf I talked about my uncle Willie who unwillingly gave his back to be beaten But Jesus Christ willingly gave his back to be beaten for us all. And by his stripes, he's healing history. He wants to heal your history. And by his blood, he wants to unite you. He wants to join together with you. To change the storyline of your family, even the community in this nation. Stand to your feet. I know we say it a lot here. But I've just been stirred in my heart about one thing. Jesus, our greatest high priest. How he prays for us. How he intercedes for us. Every intercessor in this house right now, I need you to pray. I believe there are people, you right now, you're hanging in the balance. You walk with God. And I want to tell you something. Somebody pray for you. You got a praying mama, you got a praying grandmother, praying grandfather. They've been praying for you. This church is a praying house. We've been praying for you. Early this morning, up at 8 o'clock and even earlier than that, folks praying for you. I've been fasting and praying for you for this moment right here too. 200 years ago, there were people praying for you. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ has you on this mind. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we're going to agree with you to be joined together with God, to break the power of sin, addiction, whatever it is, generational curses, whatever. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. It's way bigger than your pain, way bigger than your circumstance. But if you'll come to him right now, All that anger, all that frustration, he wants you to give it to him. My father can tell you, he can handle it. He can handle your anger. He can handle your questions and your doubts. He knows how to work all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. So if that's you right now and you want to receive Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Anybody at all want to wait? Thank you, Lord. See that hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Now, if y'all would be so bold as to meet me at this altar, there's something about as you start coming this way, whether you're up in the balcony or whether you're down here in the front, there's something about as you start moving forward, things just going to start. I see you, young lady. Come down. Come this way. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Come on, come on, I'm so proud of you. Somebody else, come on, come on. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory. Oh, Lamb of God. Receive the reward of your suffering today. Yes, Lord. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world to receive glory, to receive honor, to receive our lives. You're still healing history, God. He wants to make wrong things right in your life come on before we pray anybody else come on down come on down he can take it give him your frustration today he can take it give him your struggle with identity issues today he can take it he wants to give you his identity today right now such a holy moment Can I just tell you, I'm so proud of y'all. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. We're so proud of you. So proud of you, young lady. So proud of you, young man. Come on. Just in your own way, just pray this simple little prayer. Jesus. said if I confess my sins you're faithful and just to forgive me of all of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and I confess that I've been a sinner but now I receive your work on the cross as payment for all of my sins thank you for forgiving me for all of my sins Giving me of all of my sins. And right now, I receive your life in my life.
2: Right now, I receive your life.
1: In the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And the, power of your love. and the power of your love. Let me pray over you. Father, right now, I thank you for these who come forward. I thank you for everybody here right now. but we thank you for the families that we were born into. And we forgive the sins of our forefathers. Every sin of adultery, fornication, witchcraft, lust, whatever that looks like. Every sin of hatred and bigotry. We forgive the sins of our forefathers. And we place the cross of Christ between us and those sins as intercessors. And now we call forth, God, generational blessings spiritual inheritances. We call forth the redemptive reason for you placed us in the families that we were born into, God. Give us unfinished business. You said greater works than you, these are you gonna do because go, you've gone on to the Father. So God, we ask you right now for your unfinished business, for your greater works. In Jesus' name, we wanna be Levites joined together with you. We want to love what you love and hate what you hate. In the name of Jesus, oh, bless the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a clap and a shout. Bowls are tipping over mercy culture. Bowls are tipping over for worth. God's shaking everything that can't be shaken in your life. So the only thing that remains is the foundation of the love of God, his foundation of holiness, his foundation of truth. Here's what I want to do next. Intercessors, I want y'all to come forward. We want to pray refreshing over you right now. We want to me- release a mantle over you for prayer. Zechariah 12 and 10. Y'all stay up here too. Zechariah 12 and 10 says that in that day, he released the spirit of grace and supplication. In other words, he re- he's going to release grace to pray. And they will weep over him as a firstborn son and even as the only son. In other words, We're gonna get a revelation of God's Son that's gonna be so intense and so powerful, we're gonna be praying for others as if it's our own son, our own daughter, as intercessors, we need that. We're gonna have a greater revelation of how our sin put Jesus on the cross, but yet how his death and burial and resurrection on the cross can be efficacious right now, not just in our family, but in the nations of the earth. So, Father, right now, I pray over these intercessors. You said that he who refreshes others will Himself be refreshed. God, I thank you for these who've been praying and laboring. God, we thank you for equipping us for these next 18 months of intercession. That you would strengthen us during this season of prayer. That we would pray until it will be joyful prayer, yes, but it will be tears in prayer well, but those who sow in tears are going to reap and harvest. We want to birth your desires into the earth grim God. We want to be joined together with you in the place of prayer. We want to love what you love and hate what you hate. We want to be voiceless for the voiceless in this hour. Release grace to supplicate, God. Grace to intercede. Release the spirit of prayer over this house like we've never born before, God. Over our families. Over Fort Worth. Over this community, God. Tip the poles, Lord. Come on, let's linger here just for a little while longer God's doing something right now travail is gonna start breaking out let it go let it go let it happen tears are coming you might not have that exact thing to say you don't know how to pray it God say I'll take that I'll take those tears I'll take that cry all I can do is just get a moan or a groan father God says I'll take that America. Tip the bowls over Washington DC God. Release thunder, fire, lightning and earthquakes. We resist the enemy's attempt to try to bring about a premature World War three Come on let's pray, a, let's pray right now for China and Taiwan right now. I feel that in the spirit right now, pray. for this thing that's happening with Russia and Ukraine Pray. we pray for the Asian Peninsula right now God in the name of Jesus where the gospel spread Asia is in the book of Acts I remember what you started in Asia strengthen our brothers and sisters in the underground church in China Strengthen the church in Taiwan, God. Release breakthrough, not just in South Korea, but in North Korea too, Lord. Turn the heart of Kim Jong-un. Turn the heart of Xi Jinping. Ukraine shake everything that can be shaken God come on let's pray for Israel oh Jesus we pray for Israel we pray for Jerusalem we will not keep silent till you make it a praise in the earth we come against all and attacks would you really sacrifice 12 and 10 over Jerusalem holy Israel over Palestine over the Middle East release the revelation of the Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus Christ as the Messiah God Prince of Peace release priests all throughout the Middle East release it in rank and erode God break in God break in
2: here your Messiah is here your Messiah is here your Messiah is here receive the reward of your, your suffering Messiah is here your Messiah is here
1: tip the balls in Africa God Tip the ball. remember what you started with Mark for Tertullian with Athanasius, Perpetua and felicity. Remember the blood of the martyrs in Africa, God. It's sealed the sea for the church. Tip the bowls in Africa, God. Tip
2: the bowls. Tip the bones.
1: New no He says, release worship and adoration and glory with the revelation of the knowledge of God in every place. Every nation
2: and tribe and people and tongue release the sound of worship. Every Every nation and tribe and people and tongue release the sound of worship. Yeah. And and people and Come on, 31 seconds, let's Jesus press in.
1: Somebody press in for you, let's press in for the nations.
2: See oh, All power.
3: about the intercession of heaven like incense in heaven, that that incense must have a touch of fire. Felt the Lord wanting to bring fire to maybe your prayer life again. If you feel like your prayer life has been either dead, it's been boring, or it just isn't existent, but you need the fire of God to come and revive your prayer life, will you just lift your hands? If you need to be at the front, come to this altar. There is a releasing of the fire of God to your prayer life. Let the intercessor right now release a baptism of fire over your heart, over your mind. I pray he grips your heart right now. Will you release your heart to him? He is saying, son and daughter. It's at the altar of surrender. The fire of God consumes, I pray right now, fire of God, come and consume. Come and consume prayer lives. Come and consume houses. Come and consume hearts. Come and consume souls. Come and consume minds with the fire of God. Let him touch. Let him touch. Then take a coal from the altar and touch right now. Just receive the touch of heaven and of the Holy Spirit of fire. Come on, receive the touch of heaven right now. Receive the fire of heaven right now. Come on, waves of his spirit, waves of the spirit, come bring the fire of God into your daily encounters. You've given up on prayer. He is coming to refresh the fire on your heart to pray again.
0: Is, um, last week I was getting ready to speak for a conference and I went to the gas station to fill my car with gas. And when I pulled the lever out of the gas pump, not the, the gas didn't come out of the lever, but it came out of the base of the pump and the gas began to get all over me like a water hose. And after this gas, I was, I was the very first speaker, I had to go to the conference with gas all over me. And I said, Lord, why is this happening? And he said, do you not know that I've called you to be fuel to the fire of prayer? And I wanna release the gasoline of heaven on my intercessors. And I wanna release a new flame of God on my intercessors gas was very uncomfortable I had to preach the entire conference smelling like gas and God says sometimes it's gonna smell messy and it's not gonna feel good but I'm calling you to radical prayer I'm calling you to extreme intercession in this hour so Lord would you pour out the gasoline of heaven upon your intercessors would you spark a new flame for prayer it doesn't have to be loud it just has to be full of the Holy Spirit Release the fiery wick of prayer, Lord. Release new incense. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, release the gasoline of heaven. Light my prayer life as a fiery affection to you.
3: a few weeks ago that there would be a new prayer movement that would be birthed out of this house will you just partner your faith and can we pull on that the secrets of heaven right now what he wants specifically for this house that you're planted into. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would release the secrets of heaven, what this next move is, how you want us to be a part of it. We pray that there would be an unlocking and the bulls would tip over that are over Mercy Culture, over these family, over these sons, daughters, fathers, mothers, the secrets of intercession, we pray right now, would be tipped over you and over the people. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I wanna invite our altar team, they're gonna be up at the front. If you gave your life for the very first time, I wanna invite you, talk to one of our altar team's uh, members. They're gonna help walk you through what the next steps are. I wanna thank you, Mercy Culture, for being generous. You can text on the screen how to give, as well as if you feel uh, led to sow into will and to Haviland Ford's ministry, you can text speaker to that number. And I wanna pray for you, so if you don't mind, will you just lift your hands, and I wanna bless you with our benediction. Father, we pray that you would teach us your ways, that we would know you and find favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, bless you, enjoy your Sunday.